Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery, to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. Needless to say, having founded a business literally called Sweet, I have a pretty major sweet tooth. So also needless to say, I have been itching to have a chat with Gabe, the co-founder of the Wellington Chocolate Factory. Wellington Chocolate Factory are New Zealand's first certified organic bean-to-bar chocolate makers. Their tablets of chocolate are all very much handcrafted and truly artisanal. I've been to the factory many times and I can assure you when they say they are handmade, they really are. If you visit their factory on Eva Street in the heart of Wellington, you can see the whole team in action. It really is wide open. And yes, it smells amazing. <laughs> you can jump on a tour, you can do a workshop with the actual chocolate makers, and not to mention their chocolate really is very special and unique with beautiful packaging too. If you're listening to this episode around the time that it came out, make sure you head to Instagram at peptalknz where you can enter our giveaway to win yourself an amazing pack of Wellington Chocolate Factory chocolate so you can try all their flavors for yourself. For now, it's time to hear the full story of how you start a chocolate factory direct from Willy Wonka, no, Gabe himself. (laughs) Let's jump right in. Hi Gabe, welcome to Pep Talk. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you going? I'm good, thanks for having me. Really good, thanks. Good. I'm I'm very interested to hear all about this and how on earth you end up starting a chocolate business. It's just amazing. But before we jump into all of that, let's get warmed up a little bit. I'd like to start off with some quick fire this or that questions just to put you on the spot a little bit. So um, first one, we've got sweet or savoury? Ooh, savory. Mm, maybe controversial for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe that's just how I'm feeling right now at this moment. Yeah, yeah, you can swing between them. And, you know, maybe it's a bit of a revolt against all of the chocolate in your life as well. I think that would be expected. You know, when you do something for a job, I, I tend to, to taste a lot of it. So sometimes you do crave the savory. Yes, the opposite for sure. I've been there. (laughs) And then next one for you, also very relevant, was milk or dark chocolate. I'm interested to hear. Dark chocolate. Yeah, but I do love a good dark milk chocolate as well. Mm. Yeah, just for sort of a a quaffing chocolate, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. I like that. Okay, uh, dreaming of holidays. Next, we've got city break or island getaway. Oh, wow. Um, well, right now it would be a city break, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've, we've been on an island in uh, lockdown for a while now. True. Yeah, yeah, I, can, I feel that. Uh, next we've got read a book or watch a movie. Again, I guess that depends on my mood. Um, watch a movie? 
Uh, I'd prefer to say read a book, but if I'm <laughs> honest, just watch, watch a movie. You can be honest. Yeah, I think it's a bit easier to veg out watching a movie and zone off. Uh, next, we've got work or play. Work or play? Well, I kind of feel really lucky to have a job where it doesn't feel much like work most of the time. So Amazing. That's the ideal situation. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of people would assume you'd, that anyone would say play, but in actual fact, you're right. If you've set it up properly, then then work should be have a little bit of play in it. That's nice. And then last, this is very basic, just letting you off easy, bananas or apples? <laughs> oh, a nice, crisp, juicy apple from the fridge is, is definitely, yeah, it's number nice. one for me. Good. All right, so to begin with, I like to just kind of set aside COVID-19 for a minute and really dive into a bit of your background, and I want to hear all about how you ended up starting Wellington Chocolate Factory. Uh, but before we get to that, in terms of your personal background, I would love to hear what you were up to before you started the business, because I think you actually had some other businesses along the way too, so maybe you can take us through that quickly, what you were doing pre-Wellington Chocolate Factory. I started off in hospitality um, in in a little cafe on Cuba Street called the Crazy Lounge, doing doing dishes, and nice. it was pretty full on, sixty hour weeks, and learnt oh, wow. learnt what it's like to work in a kitchen and um, and work fast. So yeah, then I got interested in coffee and started uh, the road to becoming a barista, and did that for a couple of years. In Wellington before uh, grabbing a backpack and moving to Melbourne um, and I had sort of a dream to set up little espresso bars over there because um, back in the early 2000s there wasn't really a lot going on in Melbourne I'd been there um, playing music with a with a ska band the offbeats back in the day back in 2001 I think man <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I thought, well, Wellington's actually pretty happening when it comes to coffee, and I really love coffee, and I want to do more of it. So, uh, yeah, moved over there and uh, started a little hole-in-the-wall coffee shop, takeaway in, a, in an alleyway, um, rented a little space off this store that was selling uh, all the seconds of hosiery that people didn't want to buy. Oh, um, and so random. we had bras and things hanging behind us. We're <laughs> serving <laughs> coffee out to um, to you know CBD workers, and uh, I think we did thirty cups on our first day, and we were pretty excited. And then oh. from there, yeah, grew and grew to uh, a few stores and a coffee roasting business, where um, which is sort of. Always was interested in, in social enterprise, but didn't really know what it was or even at the time, even what the term is. Um, we ended up collaborating with uh, an organization that sort of turned it into that. And then it was sold to um, another organization called Street, S-T-R-E-A-T, who provides employment for at-risk youth so there was about I think five shops in the end and a little roaster and we'd, we'd deliver coffee beans on back of a 
bicycle to our shops and to other shops and mm-hmm. yeah it was it was a I think that was in my sort of late 20s early 30s mm. um, and during that time I started a drinking chocolate business called Coco Deluxe and we've been supplying drinking chocolate to uh, coffee companies like Coffee Supreme and Havana and all those sorts of things and I started to get interested in chocolate and then a few years ago maybe um, would have been seven or eight years ago now I tasted a chocolate bar that was from a a bean to bar chocolate factory in San Francisco called Dandelion um, Dandelion chocolate and this chocolate bar had supposedly only two ingredients in it uh, cocoa beans from Madagascar and sugar and it tasted like they'd put raspberry flavoring it was like it was amazing like I had to I was in the car I had to pull over I didn't believe them for a second that they hadn't pump it full of raspberry flavor and at that moment yeah. I was like this is insane I didn't know that chocolate could be more than one flavor and so that took me on a bit of a journey to go see uh, another bean to bar factory the Mars Brothers in New York and went to Peru and visited a cocoa plantation and learnt some more there. Wow, so was that just off your own back, like that was your hobby, you were interested in the chocolate, so you went travelling around to find these places, is that where it came from? Yeah, I was so taken by that one chocolate bar that I thought, well, this is really something interesting, and and I saw lots of parallels too, because I've been, I don't know, over 10 years dealing with one sort of bean, just coffee beans, mm-hmm. and then I thought, well, there's another bean out there that's now interesting to me, so I uh, went and followed <laughs> that. Um, and it was really just on a whim. I sort of just booked my tickets and just went to Peru and then went to New York and then went back to Melbourne and thought, right, that's it. I'm so excited. And at the time, there, there wasn't a craft bean to bar factory in New Zealand, so... At the same time, my mum was nagging me. Apparently, I had an Aussie accent by all those years I've been spending over there. So she's nagging me to come back. And I, I sort of wanted to come. to come home. Yeah, I felt like I wanted to move home after that time over there. So it's sort of, um, yeah, it kind of, it just it just felt right. So I, I, I um, sold up the coffee shops and moved home to the Kapiti Coast. Mm. And all very natural, like I love the progression from the coffee to the hot chocolate, which is obviously a kind of accompanying product to coffee, and then on from the chocolate to the chocolate, hot chocolate to chocolate. That's just such a nice kind of journey that you went on. And I love that you followed just your interest, like it just sparked an interest, and you were like, let's find out more about that. I think it just shows that if you just follow what's sparking interest in you, it leads to these amazing places. And that kind of takes us to obviously when you started Wellington Chocolate Factory and you started it with the co-founder, Rochelle. How, did you guys already know each other or did you bond over your love of chocolate? Definitely bonded over our love of the chocolate. Although mm-hmm. Wellington being Wellington, um, I had a cousin who was good friends with her. Of course. Uh, it turns out <laughs> and we know lots of people in common. So yeah. I'm surprised we hadn't been across paths before. Mm. And um, the Wellington way. Yeah. Well, she was actually working at, um, she was making bean-to-bar chocolate uh, out of the 
commercial kitchen of a cafe she was working at at the mm-hmm. time. So she they allowed her to to have her set up there, um, and she was so actually she was the first uh, bean to bar chocolate maker, craft chocolate maker in New Zealand. <laughs> and I went to Common Sense Organics and I saw one of her bars on the um, on the shelf there, and I thought, oh, damn. Somebody who's beat me to it. <laughs> but as it turns out, she was sort of was at a, a quite a small level and she was sort of had dreams of, uh, you know, opening her own shop. And, 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 I, and I had done that plenty of times. And so that wasn't, you know, a problem for me. And at the same time, as much as I was passionate about the idea, I didn't know the technical aspects of making, how do you turn this cocoa bean into delicious chocolate? Whereas she she really did. So um, she'd come from 18 years as a, a pastry chef in fine dining restaurants and really knew her craft. So um, so yeah, together we, we, we looked around Wellington um, for spaces. And then came across the Eva Street space, and we thought at the time this is more than twice as big as what we need. Mm-hmm. But I fell in love with it. It was sort of that New York style, the brick and the laneway. And yeah. um, I mean, at the time it was a bit of a ghost laneway. There was sort of tumbleweeds coming down there and unsavory characters around the place. But, but we had to have that one. And it, as it turned out, we definitely needed all of that space. Mm, and then now, of course, the laneway has turned into something really special and you guys were kind of the trailblazed that to some extent. That's awesome. And what a good like meshing of your skills that you came together. And did you just like find her details on the chocolate bar and, and email her and be like, let's make chocolate together? How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> we just went to, I think we went to the Matterhorn and, and, and over a glass of wine we decided, oh, look, this just has to happen. We both have these complementary skill sets and uh, we both need each other to make our kind of vision a reality. Um, so it was just really good timing. Yeah. And in terms of the name, was Rochelle already calling her product Wellington Chocolate Factory or did you bring that together and come up with that? Um, no. Uh, so Rochelle's business was called... Uh, um, the Cocoa Press, that naturally I thought the Wellington Chocolate Factory would be, <laughs> well, I'm not very good at coming up with names, just sort of name them as they, as I see as the most appropriate. But in, as it turned out, it was a really, a really good, a really good thing because it's sort of, I, I also feel like Wellington has that sort of foodie hub in New Zealand and people associate Wellington with really good food and culture and artwork and so to sort of I guess, you know, steal or leverage off the Wellington brand like that ended up being a really good thing. Yeah, and I think, it, like, you're right, it's very simple, it's very literal, but it works so well. And the way that it presents on your packaging and with your branding and everything, it just works. So, I don't know, who knows, it might not have been quite as special if, you, if, you'd, try, if you'd overthought the naming of it <laughs> a little bit more. Who knows? You can turn yourself inside out trying to come up with names and trying to come up with names that are hip and cool and is it going to be cool enough and at the end of the day, um, I guess whatever we name something, people associate it with their first one or two experiences of of the brand anyway and the name becomes almost secondary so uh, I try not to agonise too much over it and it'll work out. Yeah.
Yeah, I think that's good advice for sure because you can kind of sometimes get a bit hamstrung. Like, I can't start until I know what it's called and nothing seems right. Whereas if you just go with it, then whatever you choose becomes right in the end anyway. Like you say, kind of like naming a child to some extent too. Yeah, that might be a good point actually just to take a pause and maybe and tell us a bit about what you guys actually do just in case people listening haven't come across your product before. So tell us what is different and special about Wellington Chocolate Factory and everything that you guys are doing? So about 70% of the world's uh, chocolate is sourced from cocoa beans from Ivory Coast and Ghana. And historically, those beans have been made into chocolate by um, a small handful of very large organizations. And then chocolate factories, smaller chocolate factories around the world will buy that chocolate from them in bulk and melt it down to, and add flavors and make other things. And, and that is uh, the skill of a chocolatier and there are some great examples of that um, all over the world of fantastic chocolatiers. And um, the, it, we are chocolate makers, so that means that we take the bean and we make it into chocolate, and then chocolatiers can make that into chocolates. Um, so, and being that we've got a really strong sort of um, ethical foundation, we like to know where our beans come from, and that they're first of really good quality, and also uh, amazing flavor, but um, ethically, ethically produced. Um, so that takes us to other parts of the world, so any, anywhere about 15 degrees north or south of the equator, give or take, um, can grow cocoa or cacao, and so all through the Pacific, Central and South America, Madagascar, and so where we're different is we're a part of, I guess it's the last decade, is the bean-to-bar sort of revolution, I guess, where lots of little companies are starting up sourcing interesting single origin beans and actually making and celebrating the flavor, the natural flavor inherent in the bean rather than buying cheap beans and having to over roast them or buying industrial chocolate and adding flavor to it, just really pairing it back to the basics and, and, and working with the raw ingredients. And when we opened, um, it was us and then quite quickly Ocho in Dunedin, another bean-to-bar factory, and um, there are several of us now. Um, the last sort of five or six years have opened. Mm, that's really good. I think I like the way you describe that because I think there's quite a lot of buzzwords in that kind of space with the craft chocolate, like bean-to-bar and single origin and things like that, and you hear a lot of those phrases around, but it, it's really cool to hear explained what the difference is between what you're doing versus versus those like big brand chocolate companies. I'm sure there are a lot of other differences as well, but um, how do you guys find it kind of going up against that kind of chocolate within the same category? And I know that in reality, it's not really the same market and not the same customer, but some people would compare like a $4 big block of chocolate to what you guys are doing. Um, how have you found that and was it really hard to get your kind of pricing right when you were starting out and the and the value that people place on your product compared with those when before i opened the doors at the chocolate factory we had um 
a whole bunch of chocolate bars made ready to go and then we thought well how much how much do we charge for these things we had no idea so they were oh, they were, it. it's not like there's a an industry standard or a benchmark mm. in new zealand for what we were doing so we just sort of looked to the us where which at that time had a really upcoming craft chocolate scene and we thought well they're sort of around about ten dollars us so i typed that into the currency um converter thing and thought oh well that came out at 13 13 dollars and then we added another 50 cents because we knew it would be more expensive to get our beans here but that is the 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 we didn't we probably should have but we didn't do any more <laughs> detailed financial analysis on uh, the sweet spot of price points we just knew that the industry was kind of working over there let's yeah. try and make it work here and so we just copied that and um then I held my breath and we, we, we opened the doors and people came and they oh, it's just like single origin coffee, it's just like a, a, a nice wine. or and, and so a lot of the education around single origin and all of that sort of stuff, those buzz, buzzwords that you mentioned, mm. that, had, that hard work had been done by the, uh, uh, by the specialty coffee mm. scene, you know, people like um, Flight and Supreme and People's Coffee and... Havana had all really kind of prepared people for that it can be something, coffee can be more than just one flavor. So when people drew those parallels, they were like, oh, cool, that's, that's understandable because it's not something that you want to just chow down and you probably can't. And that's so interesting with the, I think a lot of that must tie into the Wellington, you know, the fact that you were starting this in Wellington means that the generally speaking the population were quite accustomed to like you say products like that and also the value of them like really understanding that they are worth more and why they cost more um you know the fact that you're paying a, a fair price for your beans and and really that people are buying the story around what you're doing not just the actual chocolate like they're buy they're buying your brand and your values and the work that you're doing with supporting growers and things not just the physical product in the box so um like you say yeah doing it in wellington with those trailblazers behind you was was probably actually a really valuable part of its of its success i guess and we talked a bit about the factory and i know because i've been obviously been into your factory and i've done a workshop with the team and things so there's a lot of equipment involved in making the chocolate i know you have fancy names for them all that i don't know um but they're big and they look expensive um did you have to get like a decent amount of investment to to do all this before you opened the doors how did that all work I, I um, had had some uh, successes with some of my cafes in Melbourne and I think I had five and three of them were really good and two of them were really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> it's sort of, it, 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 when it all washed up, it ended up that I had enough left over to, um, to, to buy the basics of what we needed for... Um, to open the doors um, of that equipment. And then, um, so we didn't need to borrow any money, which was great. And, um, but then, you know, as it turned out that it is quite uh, labor intensive to make this chocolate. So that price point we had settled on was actually correct because um, it takes a lot of time to make that chocolate. And, and the equipment, like you say, we 
did need equipment subsequently after that and we would just um, save up and and buy a piece as we could afford it and um, you know we, we also made uh, so well, there's one machine that we we made ourselves which is a winnower machine uh, this was mainly Rochelle she's a bit of a genius in this way uh, her and her dad rigged up a vacuum cleaner and some plumbing pipe and some gaffer real number eight wire stuff and um, and and a little dial you could turn the the uh, vacuum cleaner up and down, and you sort of and there was a vortex. I don't even know what that means. Sounds awesome. It was a vortex in the in the middle of it, and so we had a room set up for this. And it would take uh, Ricky, who's uh, who was there at the beginning and is still working with us. Um, it would take him thirty six hours a week to. To do this and in, in between those processes he had to have like a sieve and sort of with his hands just massage into two different grades of the shell and the nib before and it was just and then we we saved up and we saved up and we bought this machine this winnower and uh it was horrendously expensive um but then that same job could be done in i think about three hours and then Ricky could go off and he could do other more interesting things so it we just bit by bit we just as we could afford it um, added to the added to the equipment uh, but I think that I see this as a, as, as a it's a labor of love really I mean we will always be pining after that next piece of equipment to be able to make chocolate in a different way or more efficiently and yeah it's a journey for sure yeah, and it just shows that it, yeah, it's all step by step. Like you say, you don't have to, when you want to start something like this, you don't have to come in with the entire deck of the top of the range, everything, and, and be ready to go from day one. You can kind of piece by piece put it together as you're able to and just prioritize which bits need to be flashed and which, bit, which bits you can do with a, a vacuum cleaner and figure it out as you go along, which is, yeah, it makes it very accessible and relatable, which is cool. Sort of, um, I miss the vacuum cleaner winner. Like, I, it's still downstairs, and I just, you know, one day we might bring it up and I don't know, do something with it. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> and we've touched on a little bit about the kind of storytelling aspect of your brand, but I think with with you guys, that's really successful. Is that you do such a great job of bringing that all to life with, you know, the source of where your ingredients come from and the people who are growing them and your fair trade values that come into that. Um, I guess one example that's really cool is your the voyage that you guys went on to, to Papua New Guinea to collect beans and bring them back with your two hands on a boat, which is amazing. Um, how has that kind of storytelling been built into the brand? Like, tell me about, was that really strategic or did that just come from where your passions lay, I guess? Uh, I think it starts from where our passions lay. Mm. Um, wanting to do things differently, thinking creatively about how do we fix fix problems and how and then um, after that then we tack on okay well this is a really good story how do we get some uh, media attention around this and how do we help that to grow our brand so that we can continue to do these sorts of things and then we would gather a team and then everybody would sort of come up with ideas and then it becomes a lot a lot more of a thing and but it all starts with I mean that that one instance was I was over there with uh, the cocoa farmer, and he was um, disappointed that all of his cocoa sacks have to get put in sacks with Papua New Guinea written on them, and 
Bougainville wants their own independence and that there used to be trade route between Bougainville and New Zealand, he was telling me. So um, I half jokingly said, well, we're just going to have to learn to sail and just get a boat and just do it ourselves. Who's going to stop us? What? How, why can't we do this? So then the Kickstarter campaign was a way for us to fund that to happen. And then through the Kickstarter campaign, we had a lot of interest from media and then that it's kind of both, to answer your question. I suppose it was a strategic thing that we thought was a, um, and maybe just the, the, the stupidest way to get cocoa beans from A to B. <laughs> um, and, and, and certainly not a financially sensible way to do it, but, but it, really it did. It. Yeah, it created a good story, and um, what was meant to take six weeks ended up taking three months and we had lots of adventures we actually filmed it so one day we'll get around to to cutting that together and and so showing people our our voyage there but um yeah we would like to do more of those sorts of things but i guess um uh yeah uh it we've we've had a lot of other things to think about in in the last wee while so um we've had some distractions but you know i always like to think that we will get back to doing more of that sort of stuff Mm. Yeah, I don't think it still comes across in your product, even if you're not, you know, obviously at the moment people aren't thinking about big Kickstarter campaigns and voyages across the oceans, but it's still, you know, it's still very much part of your brand and your values. So it, it's not lost and it will, it'll resurrect in a more creative way, I'm sure, as, as you've got the headspace, which is cool. Um, in terms of how you guys have grown everything, uh I guess things look different now, I imagine, to what they did when you guys started. But was that quite a quick growth trajectory for you? Or did you find that it was more of a slow burn, step-by-step uh, step in that way as well? It has been fast, and then it will plateau for a while, and then it's fast again. Um, and, and I think that's down to key people coming on board and with their own unique skills. Um, and then after a while we found we plateaued because I only had, I sort of reached the limit of what I could do. I knew sort of independent coffee shops and I knew how to talk to, um, sort of boutique food stores and other businesses who might want to have our, our bars on their shelves, but I really didn't know the language of supermarkets. And, and at the beginning, I was a little bit snooty about it. I thought, oh, no, we'll never be in a supermarket. We're far too you know, fancy for that. But actually, we quite quickly found out that New Zealand's actually quite a small place. And also, if we want to do all this interesting work, we need to keep growing our brand so that we can do more of it. So, um, so we'd had plateaued for quite a while and... Um, then uh, our now general manager, Matt Williams, came on board, who has come from that background working with some big New Zealand brands and knows all of the supermarket language and, and what's expected and how to get us on shelf there. And he really drove that. So um, that was another sort of, in the last year or so, we've sort of had another. So it hasn't been like a, a, a linear sort of growth. It's yeah. sort of in, um, kind of, Big growth and then plateau and then we reevaluate re and then another big and then we reevaluate yeah. and um, in that last one with Matt um, we decided to drop our prices to just under ten dollars which meant that we really had to focus on 
the way we were doing things and how efficient we were with the equipment that we had and there was a lot of it was quite a painful transition um, it was the right decision but it certainly hasn't been easy interesting I think that that kind of growth like that and those step changes I guess we call it that big growth spurts um, and then plateaus like it's it's a much more manageable, I guess, because you're always doing, you know, one big thing and then you're just chilling and getting the hang of it and then you're doing another big thing and, and so on rather than just on this constant treadmill uphill that you feel slightly panicked by and you're not really sure if you're going to survive. So I'm sure that's been a, a part of the success. The supermarket thing is also interesting because that's kind of come up a few times on some of these chats talking to like Fix and Fog and um, Six Barrel Soda as well. Uh, it's come up a lot that that supermarkets is a bit of a battle with the the craft nature of these brands and whether they're right in the supermarkets but it seems like everyone's come to the conclusion that at least in New Zealand there is a space for these boutique brands in the supermarket and it's just a, another channel for your fans to to get your product and also people to discover you so it's not you know when you when you come around to it it's actually can be very successful so it's interesting it's been the same for you guys for sure and I guess a factor in this growth is that handmade aspect that we've talked about a bit like bringing in equipment to replace people doing things um must be a bit of a, a struggle with your growth because you do want to keep that handmade aspect because that's a really important part of your brand but at some stage i guess a machine does things a lot quicker than a person how does that play out for you and your growth and your plans and things yeah it's an interesting question that we grapple with is um you know, certainly not now, we're not at the sort of level where we need to be concerned about whether or not we can call ourselves craft. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. But we will get there um, soon. And um, so, uh, I, and the consensus is if we still have uh, close relationships with our the, the people who produce our and farm our cocoa and we make sure that the quality of that cocoa is good and that it is ethical and then if we um, carefully tend to those machines that can uh, winnow in three or four hours instead of 36 hands-on the outcome of that process can uh, it's not only faster but can also even mean an increase uh, in quality that goes for a number of the processes that we're looking to uh, make more efficient mm. um, so it's a really difficult it's a difficult question to answer is um, you know at what point at what revenue at what um, scale can we no longer say that we're artisan or craft or any of those sort of buzzwords and I don't know to us we've decided it doesn't really matter we just keep doing the best we can yeah. um, and so long as the quality is there and our values are, are there and intact yeah. then I don't really mind if people don't consider us craft anymore I think most people will or does that even matter I'm not sure that's an interesting way of looking at it and it, like you say as long as the essence of it is still there and you're still true to what you know to be important about what craft actually means rather than what it says on the label then that's all that matters I guess really. A lot of New Zealand craft breweries must be sort of facing that same thing and, and we've got yeah, some quite totally. successful and, and um, big craft breweries here now who still consider themselves 
to be craft beer even though they're at a much bigger scale than uh, when they were working out of a garage in um, Arrow Street or wherever, you know. So, <laughs> Just hypothetically, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think that when their beer is completely, it's amazing and, and everything is completely legit and yeah, I think yeah. good, good on them. You know, they're doing great things. And, um, yeah, I guess when you just, maybe, maybe when you sell out to, um, I don't know, some... <laughs> evil multinational then maybe you can't <laughs> that's where you draw the line yeah <laughs> that makes sense and what's kind of bigger picture next for wellington chocolate factory like so supermarkets has obviously been a big part of recent growth but what's the next kind of step growth change for you guys is it export or do you still keep things within new zealand where do you go next well, i actually think we've got a lot of work to do uh, still in New Zealand, so for the next two or three years, or maybe two years, um, we really, I mean, we're in about um, 50, 60 supermarkets, so um, there are a lot more supermarkets um, that we could we could be in, but then we don't want to just be on shelf. We, we like to have people that are employed by us who go in and do tastings and educate people because... There's so little real estate on a bar. It's so hard for us to uh, communicate to people who don't know our story why it's different, why it's uh, more expensive, um, why it tastes the way it does. Um, so we really want to make sure that the customers that we do have on board are supported in that way. Mm. Um, so I think we've got a lot of work to do before we can sort of expand and I think that where we are is maybe 10 or 15 years ago when there was only two or three craft I don't know how long ago but you know only a couple of craft beer brewers and now there's loads I think we're at that sort of us and the other half dozen craft chocolate makers are sort of at that hard slog to kind of educate people so we've got a bit of time before we can look to go overseas and we want to when we're ready we want to have a really strong um expand our loyal base of customers here um, before we then take that step um, but yeah I, I really like to see us work more closely with the Pacific and import more beans um, from uh, Samoa, Solomon Islands, Fiji, Vanuatu, uh, Bougainville there's all these beautiful beans there and you know if we're looking at sharing containers with other craft chocolate makers working together rather than as competitors to sort of grow the whole pacific chocolate scene and then then we can we can see some some improvements um, in these other countries our neighbors and and get systems in place where they can get paid a fair price for their beans and that's sort of the whole idea I think it, it feels like and a number of us in New Zealand who have craft chocolate companies is we want to do more of that stuff which is really exciting. So I guess we should probably before we run out of time jump back into the real world and of course we're uh, COVID-19 is still very much in the picture for us right now so I would be interested to hear about what how that's looked for you guys at Wellington Chocolate Factory like what impact has that had uh, did you have to close the factory when we were locked down or were you able to keep producing for the supermarkets how does that work? 
Well, we weren't sure to begin with. It was super yeah. scary. It was really scary. Um, we were facing, you know, I was wondering whether we would have a business if we, if everybody would be able to keep their jobs. So there were a few um, shaky days there. Um, but while we waited to see whether chocolate making was an essential service, as it turns out it is. <laughs> um, and um, But we did have to close our front of house, which makes up a significant amount of our revenue, which is um, it's also our direct contact with our loyal customers. And you know, some of our wholesale customers had to either shut or have been disrupted. Um, so our sales have been reduced there as well. So... Yeah, it was a bit of a blow. We had some pretty exciting plans to grow our business to help our stakeholders, um, cocoa farmers, and um, that pre-COVID. Um, but we've had to review that, and but then there's been some really uh, key partners who've rallied around us, um, Inject Design and um, the uh, friends from Thorn PR have created a new stream of revenue online for us. Um, so that's managed to keep it ticking over. Um, oh, that's awesome. And it's actually been a lot stronger than we had ever imagined. So thanks out there to all your listeners who have bought <laughs> from us because it's, uh, it's saved the day. Hello, lovely people. It's Grace here. I'm just ducking in really quickly while we're talking all about ordering chocolate online to let you know that the wonderful folks at Wellington Chocolate Factory have given us a very generous 15% of their divine chocolate especially for you pep talk listeners head to www.wcf.co.nz and enter the code pep talk to receive your delicious chocolate delivered straight to your door at an especially sweet price enjoy and now back to hear some final thoughts from Gabe and um, we're out of that it seems like this is this this challenge has actually become an opportunity for us to actually get around to a lot of the things we were talking about but not doing so um we were really um yeah really grateful to all of the people who rallied around us and 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 we had some positivity come in the form of the new zealand chocolate awards won some awards there and um so we're remaining, you know, very positive about the future, um, and we're wanting to do a refresh for the front of house. And but yeah, it was um, it was pretty scary. We were all looking at a lot of our sort of years of hard work um, disappearing because of that, and um, we're grateful that, as it turns out, there are good people who are willing to step in and, and buy our chocolate and um, help us promote it. And yeah, it's been fantastic. And everyone's just really start just jumped on to championing their favorite local brands and like you say supporting with buying online and everything like that i think there's just been this big upswell and kind of protecting our really treasured brands like yours and that i'm sure is a lot of where that support has come from which is it's not just an accident you know it's because of all those years you've spent before this building up that loyalty and that um, fan base that just love what you're doing and are really behind your values and everything so that's all been you know not been in vain that's led to what's managed to carry you through this which is 
awesome to see. And on the other side of this, I mean, I guess I w it's going to be a long time till we're kind of on the other side. <laughs> but generally, now that we're starting to tick back into a bit of a new normal, is, is anything going to significantly change in the way that you guys do anything because of everything that's happened? Or is it, do you try and slot back onto the path that, that you were on before? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, there are, well, there is immediate changes. So we are opening on Thursday with um, um, with all of the social distancing in place. Um, Very exciting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's helped us sort of, as I, as I said, we've, we've, we've grown online and we want to um, work on, it's, it's sort of forced us to really think hard about how we communicate what we do in our story yeah. to the wider public. And um, so we, we've had time to sort of sit back and think about all of that and strategize so that uh, when we do get back to whatever normal looks like, um, we can we have a clearer um, communication strategy online. Um, I think it's been really... Um, it's really amazing how the staff have all um, accepted these challenges, and and you know we've had to we've had to make changes, and there was a time where we, they had to work a few less hours, but we all are pulling through, and, and with the help of the wage subsidy as well, that really helped us. Um, and yeah, I think it's kind of made us closer as a team. So I don't know if there's any one thing that is a big change. Um, yeah. But I guess reevaluating re where we focus our energy and the way we communicate would be the would be the the biggest sort of positive thing to come out of this time. We've had to think about all of that. Nice. And what can we do to be supporting you guys right now? I know that I can't wait to come in and have a hot chocolate <laughs> as soon as I can. Um, but in the meantime, is there, is there anything else that people can do out there to to support you guys as we go forward? Ah uh, well, um, we have just launched a kids uh, chocolate competition, and um, so if people would like to, um, if they have kids or if they know kids from five to thirteen, um, they get a chance to design and dream up their ultimate chocolate bar and do the wrapper themselves, and then oh, wow. the winners. Uh, will them and their uh, so two adults and two kids will be um, thanks to our um, Air New Zealand will um, be flown from anywhere in New Zealand to stay in a hotel for two nights in Wellington um, and, uh, and 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 have a tour of the factory um, go to some really cool places like New Zealandia and all of that and then they get to wrap the first bar to come off the line so we'll actually make their recipe. And, and print out their wrapper and make a limited edition chocolate bar of theirs. Um, so so cool. um, we're right in the middle of that. And, and if anyone knows any kids who want to get on board with that competition, that would be really helpful. That would be awesome. And, you know, like us on Instagram. Um, of buy local. <laughs> buy, buy our chocolate, of course. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, there's some videos that we've put up online uh, about that competition and I think it's, it was just a really good idea of um, our PR company to to keep the kids 
interested and active during this lockdown and yeah um i think it'd be an amazing thing you know thinking back to my sort of nine-year-old self if i could imagine designing up a chocolate bar and actually having it made by a chocolate factory would be pretty cool yeah dream come true still it that's awesome oh we'll definitely check that out and i'll make sure i put links and everything on social so people can can track all that down um but we better wrap up now you've been so generous with your time thank you so much gabe but before we do um i'd love to hear if you have a tip or a piece of advice or a favorite quote maybe you can share with us to really take us out on a on a positive note yeah i mean what comes to mind in this in this kind of covid uh situation we find ourselves in is there's a there's a quote by tim ferris i'm not ashamed to say I, I i like i follow tim ferris he's a great author of uh, the four-hour work week and others never let a good crisis go to waste it's the universe challenging you to learn something new and rise to the next level of your potential that's so cool i think that really speaks to what you've said about what you guys are doing during this time as well so it's, it shows that you're obviously taking heed of that too yeah <laughs> I think it's an exciting time. I mean, it's an exciting time, but it's, you know, it's worrying and all of that. But I think that um, there is a lot of good good stuff that's going to come out of this. And I think there will be a shift in, in the way people think about supporting local businesses and um, buying ethical products. And, and just, you know, as, as Auntie Cindy says, just and being kind. <laughs> and just, yeah, I think there's a real sense when you walk around that people are, we feel like we're more of a team. Mm, I definitely feel that the time the team of five million as she puts it I think that's yeah that's definitely shone through in this time it's just really cool all right well thank you so much Gabe I've just loved hearing all about how you how you started all this and, and where you're heading um not only because I'm a massive sweet tooth and I, I love your chocolate um but I love just the way that you've built the storytelling and, and community into your brand and your values that shine through I think it's such a solid foundation for, for everything that you guys are going to do now so I can't wait to see uh, but thank you for your time and for sharing your story with us and everything that's been fantastic thanks Gabe absolute pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me on so hearing that story from Gabe really reminded me of this quote that I love the things that excite you are not random they are connected to your purpose follow them I just loved hearing how Gabe eating this one single chocolate bar sparked this beautiful journey he's now on and created the brand and chocolate that we all know and love I think it really just shows that you shouldn't ignore those things in life that spark you up and definitely follow all those little leads that pop up along the way because you just don't know where they'll take you. With that and so many more takeaways from my chat with Gabe, I hope you enjoyed hearing this story as much as I did. I've got a little bit of homework for you this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you can, and or follow us on Instagram at peptalknz and you can definitely do all three for extra credit. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride with Pep Talk. Until next time, bye.